Let's find our Bibles and open them today to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And we continue today our study through this letter. Thank you for your um, attention that you gave and hearing that you gave last week to Tim Dowdy. I'm thankful for him stepping in and speaking while uh, Carla and I were away. And uh, a great uh, message that he shared with us about being ambassadors for Christ. We are working our way through this letter of 1 Thessalonians. It's a letter of five chapters, and we're calling it For the Win. Why would we call a study through 1 Thessalonians for the win? There's a very specific reason for that. And the reason is, is that there is a reoccurring theme in this letter of the Apostle Paul to the believers in Thessalonica. And this reoccurring theme is one that comes up at the conclusion of each of the five chapters of this letter. In all five chapters, at the end of all five of those chapters, there is a reference by the Apostle Paul to the return of Jesus Christ. It is very much on his mind, in his thoughts, and a part of what he understands that we're living toward, that we're walking toward, and that the same Jesus that lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven will keep a final promise, and that is to return again to this earth. Now this coming back of Jesus at the end of all five chapters, I mentioned that, and you may be like I would be if I was in the audience this morning. I hear a preacher say something like that. I'm probably not hearing anything for the next three minutes because I'm checking to see if he's really telling the truth. If it is, and maybe you're already thumbing through there. Since you're there, just let me show you. Let's go there together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven... Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 11, 12 and 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Chapter 4 verses 13 through 18 is a longer passage about the return of Christ but look just there in verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then last chapter, verse, chapter 5, verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ. So five chapters, five times, at the end of each chapter, the Apostle Paul is raising this finish line. There is for us a finish line. There is for us a time that will change all of time. And that time is the return of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians tells us that if we die before he returns, uh, what will happen? We'll talk about that in a, in a few Sundays. He tells us what will happen if we're still alive when he comes. But whether we are dead physically or alive physically, when he returns, he is coming again. And he is uh, using that as a, a marker of a finish line now if there is a finish line I want to know how to cross it as a winner I want to get across that line if you will as a winner now what what is winning winning is not beating others there all right Carl and I attended a 40-year class reunion last weekend while we were away there are some people that are beating me there all right uh, they're just aging a lot faster than, than, than we are. Uh, winning is not beating others there. Uh, winning is not being better than others when we get there. The comparison for me of whether or not I'm winning when I cross the finish line is not me looking at you, John, and saying, All right, am I better than you? Are you better than me? Does that make me a, a winner? Winning in the Christian life is not beating others there. It's not being better than others. Here's what winning in the Christian life is. Winning in the Christian life is being more like Jesus on the last day of life than any other day before. That's winning. Let me give you a longer definition. Winning in the Christian life is wholeheartedly following Jesus in an increasing measure every day of life until there are no more days in this life. Winning in the Christian life is wholeheartedly following Christ in an increasing measure every day of life until there are no more days in this life. And so I'm asking you to consider with me today. Today, are you following Jesus wholeheartedly? Would you look and see just in your life and say, you know what, I'm not who I used to be and I'm not who I'm going to be. But praise the Lord, I'm more like Jesus today than I've ever been. And the Spirit of God, that's that sanctification process of where he just is shaping us and transforming us and making us more like Christ. Christ Christ-likeness is the goal. Christ-likeness is the goal. Winning is finishing on this side of the grave more like Jesus than any day before. Now... I want to make this statement. I want you to hear it. it really is the whole hinge of the message. If that's what winning is, 
if winning is being more like Jesus than any day before, listen really close. You play a role in others around you winning. We flip the script for about 10 minutes already. We've probably been thinking about ourselves. Am I winning? Am I more like Jesus? And I want to flip that and ask you to think about this. Me winning, me winning, you play a role in that. You winning, others play a role in that. You play a role in others winning with Jesus. And the person right beside you today that knows Jesus. A friend, a spouse, a child, a parent, a stranger. You play a role in them winning. There is a secret sauce, if you will, to win in everyday life. And that secret sauce is applied from the outside. There is something that happens on the outside of our lives that makes it possible for us to win. It's not the only thing, but it is a massive thing. It is a major thing. And it's one word. You know what that one word is? Do you know what the secret sauce to win in everyday life? Do you know how you play a role in others winning here's the one word encouragement 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 is the secret sauce to win in everyday life and it's applied from the outside it's something that I do in your life it's something that you do in my life According to Hebrews chapter 11, it's a major reason for us even being in this room together today. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Just like in 1 Thessalonians with this thought, Jesus is coming back. One of the things that happens in us gathering together is we encourage one another. We help others along toward this finish line. We've said it before, Romans, written by Paul, gives us the mind of the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians gives us the heart of the Apostle Paul. In chapter 2, all the way through chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, it's really like the heart of the whole letter. It all addresses this same thing. It is the Apostle Paul encouraging the believers at Thessalonica. That, that's it. So many times we may have this perspective of the Apostle Paul as being rigid or hard or just bringing the hammer on people's lives. You, I think in many ways that's a, a win by Satan to hide from us 
how encouraging the Apostle Paul was toward other believers. And, and look at it. I, I, I want to originally our text was going to be 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 13. We're going to back up two verses where we were last time when we met in verse 11 of chapter 2. He says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then he unfolds here how he was exhorting and encouraging and charging them. And for the next dozen verses, more than a dozen verses, he just encourages the church at Thessalonica. I'm praying the Holy Spirit, just hearing these words, somehow the Spirit of God would apply these to our heart and we'd be encouraged. But verse 13, he says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, listen to his heart. He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You hear what, Paul, what Paul is saying to believers in Thessalonica? Our joy, our crown, what is it? Who is it? It's you. For you are our glory and joy. Verse 1, chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know for this reason when I could bear it no longer I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus 
direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I want to stop there. All of those verses. I kept looking this week. Where do, we, where do you cut it off? Where do, you, where do you stop? It just keeps going. Just encouraging, encouraging. Thankful for them. Celebrating them. And there are two important truths in this passage I want to call your attention to right now. Number one is this. There is an enemy that hinders. There is an enemy that hinders. This morning, there is an enemy that has attempted to hinder you already in this day. Some of you know that far clearer at this moment than maybe others. Sometimes the drive to church can be the most obvious time that there is an enemy. Getting out of the house on Sunday morning can be the most obvious time that there's an enemy. But there is an enemy that hinders. You see it here. Verse 16, it speaks of hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. Verse 18, it says, but Satan hindered us. Chapter 3, verse 5, somehow the tempter had tempted you. This word hinder in verse 18 was a Greek word that was used to describe a road that would be broken up in construction, creating obstacles and obstructions that would stop progress. And it's the word that Paul picks out to use to describe the work of the adversary. That word Satan there is a Greek word for adversary. And, and we, we have an adversary. We have one that opposes us. A real enemy. Satan. And his attempt is to put obstacles in our way. Put obstructions in our way. With one specific intent on your life. To discourage you. To discourage you. To make you want to quit this life and quit on Jesus that's his dominant scheme your sins are forgiven you have a relationship with Jesus Christ you have been justified in the courts of heaven and what does Satan have left to do in your life hinder you discourage you put obstacles in your way create obstruction that would keep you from growing, keep you from becoming more like Christ, to keep you from winning, if you will. There is an enemy that hinders. The dominant strategy is to discourage. But here's the, here's the second truth. If there is an enemy that hinders, there must be a friend that helps. Amen? There must be a friend that helps. And that's where you come in in my life. I told somebody this morning, I said, earlier this week, I wrote in my notes, I wrote it in the middle of my notes, big capital letters, I'm so fired up about Sunday morning. This morning at 4 a.m. when I woke and couldn't sleep, I was not fired up 
about this morning. And I just kept calling out to the Lord, Lord, this is Satan trying to hinder me. This is Satan trying to hinder me. I need your help. And you know that the answer to that prayer for help from many comes through other believers being obedient to the Spirit of God who will come along in the life of others and be a helper when Satan is hindering. There is a hinderer, but praise the Lord, we have friends that help. In verse 19, here, look at chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Satan hindered us, but look at verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? What the Apostle Paul was doing, he was saying, yes, Satan hinders, but I'm here as your friend to tell you, you're my crown. <laughs> oh, that's good. You, you, you're my joy. I'm living this life to make it to the finish line, believers in Thessalonica, for you. And you being there, when I get there, that's a win. And you see his friendship coming through. The dominant strategy of the hinderer is to discourage. The dominant strategy of the friend is to encourage. And to encourage means to make effort, to cause someone to continue the course. It really is... It really is the secret sauce on the outside to address our feelings. And some people say, hey, feelings don't matter. I'm telling you, feelings matter. Feelings are what make us want to quit. Feelings are what makes us want to run up the white flag. Feelings are what makes us want to compromise on our convictions. And encouragement comes along and says, don't quit. You're my joy. You're my crown. It was God's grace, I believe, that I had time with my dad as he was dying. It was not a sudden death. And just by the grace of God, I, you allowed, and I was able to be there and spend time with him as he died two years ago. And I remember in the deepness of a dark night with just a, one of those particular nights in the hospital, just the light of the post with the IV there, my dad was quiet and then he spoke. He said, just out of nowhere, I wish I had done more to encourage others. I was so busy working and doing I should have encouraged others more and the goal of this message today is to help us get to our end of life and be able to say I'm glad I gave my life encouraging others I want you to be an encourager because the person around you and the people around you need a friend that will help them overcome the enemy that hinders them. In these verses that I've read here this morning, 
I have some ways for us to be an encourager based on the Apostle Paul's life. They're going to be fast, but there's seven of them, okay? I want to encourage you. It's going to be fast, all right? And so I want you to write down these seven if you're taking notes. If you want to be an encourager, I guess you can go back and listen to the message. You can memorize it. Spirit of God will give you one of these. But let me, let me give you the seven. Number one, here's seven ways to encourage for the win. Number one, he told them. I'm going to come back and help these. He told them. Number two, he connected them. Number three, he valued them. Number four, he sacrificed for them. Number five, he reminded them. Number six, he commended them. And number seven, he prayed for them. Number one, he told them. I want to help these statements because this is really the key to encouragement. Number one, he told them how God was working in their life. It, it, it means so much that, like this, this verse, he says in verse 13, and we also thank God constantly. But notice the, this next phrase. We also thank God constantly for this. For this. And he told them how God was working in their life. He, he said, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. There's a huge difference in this. It's one thing to say to somebody, I thank the Lord for you. It's a whole nother level of encouragement to say to somebody, I thank the Lord for you because of this. And then you tell them. I thank the Lord. And one of the greatest ways you can encourage your spouse, your child, your parent, your friend, is by telling them, showing them how God is working in their life. Because many times we get so caught up in the fog of living, we can't see where God's working. And we can see it. And you say to that person, you tell them, I want you to know I thank the Lord for what I see right now in your life. You used to battle with this, and that seems like a victory now. And you, just, you just, whatever the situation is, you find a way to say, look how God's working in your life. I see it right there. He told them how God was working in their life. Number two, he connected them to other believers' experiences. And this was critical to encourage them. He says in verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Now, the, the phrasing of this, 
actually means they didn't make a choice here. This is not him saying you chose to imitate other churches. The, the wording here is, that, is, is actually him saying just you living for Jesus, you wound up being an imitation of other churches. It, it, it just was the result which is at work in you, believe it. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did. He was, he was connecting them to other believers' experiences. How does that encourage? It's helpful for people to be able to know that what they're going through is not unique or isolated to everybody else. And, and it's, it's, it's helpful. Hey, look, what you're walking through, God has seen this before. What you're walking through, others have come through before. You can do it. You can make it. He connected them to other believers' experiences. Number three, he valued, he valued them as treasure. He, he says, you're my crown. You're my victory. You're my joy. He valued them. Number, five, number four, he sacrificed for them willingly. Willingly. He says, verse 1 of chapter 3, Therefore, even therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. He, 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 sent, he sent somebody. He let somebody leave him. It was a willing sacrifice. When we willingly sacrifice for someone... We give up something. We provide something. We send something. That encourages other people. They see us paying the cost to encourage them. Number five, he reminded them of the same things again and again. Part of encouragement is saying the same thing over and over again. And I've failed at this so many times. So many times. I, it, it's like, well, I... I said good job three years ago, and they're still doing a good job. And if it changes, I'll let you know. I mean, that, that, too many times I've failed in that way. And, but to encourage somebody, the, the hinderer comes over and over again. The helper needs to be there over and over again. Day by day, week by week, your spouse, your child needs you reminding them repeatedly over and over again, not just what they forgot to do. They need you reminding them repeatedly of what they've done, of the good job they've done. I love it how you did that. You mentioned that yesterday. I know. I just want to come back to it one more time. So that was really awesome. And, and, and he reminded them, verse 4 of chapter 3, he says, um, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. We kept telling you. Number 6, he commended them for standing fast. He commended them for standing fast. He saw victory in their life and he put it into words. Verse 6, he says, Now Timothy's come to us from you and he's brought us the good news of your faith. Period. It's not what he did, is it? He, he, he says, He brought us the good news of your faith and love, reported that you always remember us kindly 
and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. That's how we encourage. He commended them by pointing out what they were doing, the victories that they were winning, the job that they were doing. It was pointed. His commending was pointed. And then number seven, he prayed for them. He prayed for them. In fact, he, he does what we do often. He told them that he was praying for them. But he took it to another level. He prayed for them. This happened through a dear friend of mine. In fact, I don't, I, I don't mind mentioning Bill Hager. When, when I got word to him about my dad's sickness I remember him sending a note to me and it and he said Carlos I'm praying for you and then there was this long text of the actual words of the prayer now it's encouraging to know I'm not listen don't don't think I mean tell me if you're praying for me it's, you don't have to write out the prayer every time but I but I want you to see what Paul did here he says in verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And then verse 11 to 12, 13, the actual prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Here's how he prayed for them. It's a good word for us. He prayed earnestly, he prayed continually, and he prayed specifically. And he did not just pray generally. It, it, it was so powerful to see him praying earnestly and continually and specifically. He says, Lord, direct our way to them. Lord, increase their love. Let it be abounding. Lord, establish their hearts as blameless in holiness. And this, this, this prayer, what he's praying for in their life, is exactly what Satan attempts to hinder in our life. He tries to hinder us from loving others. He tries to hinder us from being blameless in our everyday life. Encouragement can change that. Encouragement is our help against the hindering enemy. As I thought through this, the Lord brought to my mind not just this letter of Paul, but I reached for um, letters that I've received over the years. And I pulled some of those letters. These were very, uh, these, are, these are treasures. I'd saved these letters for years. I have a correspondence file where I'll, I'll just stick letters that come from people. And these are five letters that I had, there were more, but these are the five that I brought that I received on stationery in handwritten form from evangelist Junior Hill. Junior Hill is, um, was iconic in my life and mind as just a, an amazing preacher and thousands and thousands of souls have been saved through his preaching. And he lives in Hartsville, Alabama and has not got many days left here on this earth but when, in 1992, I was in my last semester of seminary. 
And I started getting letters from him, handwritten. And he would address the letters. I was working on my master's degree, master's of divinity. He would address the letters, Dr. Carlos Sibley. And I just thought that was so humorous when I would see that. And, and he, and this is, this is, this is encouragement. I'm in seminary. I don't know where I'm going after seminary. I've got a new wife, no church, trying to get through class. He says, Dr. Carlos, this is January of 92. I sure hope all is well and you had a happy holiday. Sure hope you will keep at it. The end is so near and you can get out and get a church. I love you, Dr. Carlos, great Bible scholar and friend. <laughs> Dr. Carlos, 1st of February, 92, much later. Brother, I hope you are well. I rejoice that you are so near to the end. Pray for my 92 schedule. It's so demanding. I love you, Dr. Carlos, super preacher and scholar. <laughs> Dr. Carlos, this is March. Brother, you've almost got it done. Hang in there a little longer. I love you and thank the Lord for your life, Junior. April. Dr. Carlos, almost there, exclamation mark. Brother, I love you. Let me know where you settle, Junior. May, Dr. Carlos, congratulations on your graduation, exclamation mark, Junior. June, still no church, got a degree. Dr. Carlos, brother, congratulations. I'm proud of you for staying by the stuff while you got that degree. Let me know where you land, Junior. Just so happens that each one of those letters had a $25 check in it as well every month. I thought it was so unique and special until I started meeting guys all over America that had handwritten letters with $25 checks in them <laughs> trying to get through seminary. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? And that's what I want you to be. That's what I want to be. I, I, want us, I want us to be encouragers. I'm going to ask Jessica and Caleb to come here to help us finish this morning. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are two kinds of people in this world. Encouragers and those who need encouragement. And do you know how you move from needing encouragement to be an encourager? You encourage someone. Proverbs 11:25 says that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. It's a promise from God's word. If you're sitting here today and you're like, discouragement, can I, can I say, take a breath, say a prayer, and find somebody that you can tell, commend, value, pray for and become an encourager. Here's what Jessica and Caleb are gonna do this morning for us in this room. As fellow believers, they wanna encourage you this morning with this song. And as you sing, I want you to think from a perspective of singing that you're encouraging the person beside you, okay? They're gonna encourage us as they sing you're going to encourage those around you as you sing. 
let's stand together and let's worship and let's encourage one another right now.